Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard, and uh, I don't have anyone alongside me today. Yeah, that's right. This is a solo podcast. Uh, Parker is still celebrating his birthday somewhere uh, in the greater United States area. His uh, location is undisclosed uh, for fear that the government of Bolivia is tracking him. Uh, So it's just going to be me today recapping TCU's final regular season game of the year, which was a 52-10 win over the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. Uh, Fitting way to end the season, I think. Um, Probably showed how... Good TCU was. Uh, I think 52-10 to 10 over Louisiana Tech is is accurate. Um, I'm going to go through a little bit of data here per collegefootballdata.com. So TCU had an overall success rate of 58% on offense in this game, which is extremely good. That's over half their plays were successful. Louisiana Tech just had 23%. The difference was even more stark on uh, standard downs. TCU had a 61% success rate on standard downs compared to just 19% for Louisiana Tech, and the Bulldogs uh, had a 30% success rate on passing downs, while the Frogs had a 50% success rate. TCU scored 5.17 points per scoring opportunity. We'll get into a couple of the uh, uh, the misses in scoring opportunity uh, a little bit later, but uh, that's certainly a positive and higher than it's been all year. Uh, Zach Evans, excuse me, Zach Evans added. points per rush by himself. Uh, So a very, very good game for the five-star freshman. I think the way TCU won this game was, well, A, they had more more talented players and and they were the better team. But in this game specifically, it it came down to field position, right? So Louisiana Tech got the ball to start the game. Here is where they started their first six drives. Their own four-yard line, their own six-yard line, because of a penalty, they started on their own eight-yard line. Another penalty started at their 12. Another penalty, somehow on a touchback, started at their 12. And another penalty started at the 15. So Louisiana Tech did not start in front of the TCU 20, excuse me, in front of their own 20 in the first six drives. That is not a recipe for success. And there's a reason TCU was up 31 to nothing at the half. Uh, TCU, meanwhile, started at the Louisiana Tech 49, the Louisiana Tech 43, the Louisiana Tech 8. That was after a CJ Caesar interception. Uh, their own 24, which led to a touchdown on the first play on a pass to Quentin Johnston. The Louisiana Tech 23 and the TCU 30. Uh, they scored touchdowns on their last four drives of the first half and uh, kicked a field goal. Uh, when they started at the Louisiana Tech 43. So this game was won by field position. Louisiana Tech really had no chance. Uh, they w- did not put themselves in good position. They shot themselves in the foot. All those penalties on kickoff returns and first plays of drives really kind of moved the Bulldogs back. It, it almost kind of felt like pouring salt into the wound when you saw those flags fly during the kickoff returns because, let's be honest, TCU was going to win this game. And, you know, I'm not saying those are bad calls, but the referees certainly didn't do... Louisiana Tech any favors there. Uh, Before we get into TCU a little bit, I found this interesting how much Louisiana Tech mixed and matched their quarterbacks. I say matched, nothing really matched that game, but Luke Anthony was the starter coming in, uh, and he was interchanged quite a bit with Aaron Allen. Um, I I don't necessarily know why that happened. If 
the Bulldogs were trying to win this game. Neither quarterback was really effective. Uh, Anthony passed for 6.4 yards per attempt, which is not good. Uh, but Allen had 2.8 yards per attempt, which is extremely not good. So uh, I, I guess maybe they wanted to give Allen a look. Uh, I understand if, you know, uh, Luke Anthony's going to move on. He was a graduate transfer, uh, and Abilene Christian kind of came in. Uh, for just one season to, to win as many games as he could with the Weezing at a Tech. And, you know, Aaron Allen is a redshirt sophomore, and he'll likely be the guy going forward there. But it was weird to see them switch those guys out. It was also extremely weird that the Weezing Tech passed the ball 36 times and ran the ball 37. Uh, the Bulldogs are not a good running team. Uh, to skip Holt's offense, they throw the ball, and they didn't throw the ball. It was very weird. Uh Louisiana Tech averaged 1.4 yards per carry. A lot of that does have to do with a really, really good effort by the TCU defense, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, like the Bulldogs' longest rush of the game was 10 yards. Um, they weren't getting anything done on the ground. So the fact that they continue to try to move the ball uh, through their running game was very, very confusing and really played straight into TCU's hands, especially with, uh, you know, T.J. Caesar went out for injury, and, and we'll get into all that in a little bit. But there were opportunities for the Weezy Tech to strike, and they really didn't take them. Um, so we appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and we should say, before we get to t analyzing TCU, uh, prayers up for Luke Anthony. Um, that was a horrific injury that he suffered at the end of the game. Um, I I actually wasn't really paying close attention there because the backups were in, and I, I'm not going to learn anything by watching Matt Downing play quarterback. Uh but Twitter blew up, man, and I was like, okay, this is not good. Uh, I saw the, I actually sought out the play, and I wish I hadn't. Um, I hope he's going to be okay. That, that's tough to, to suffer that sort of leg injury playing in front of your hometown fans. Uh, it's very frightening and very disheartening for him in what is his last college game. So hope that leg heals quick, and uh, you hate to see that. Okay, uh, no easy transition out of that, but let's talk about the TCU defense. Um, good game. I would say held Louisiana Tech to, I mean, no points in the first half and really just garbage time points in the second. The Bulldogs did kick a coward's field goal, being down 31 to nothing and elected to kick instead of go for it on fourth. Come on, Skip Holtz, you're better than that. Uh, CJ Caesar, look, it, we've given him hell all year, and, and he shouldn't be in this position because TCU has had two different players go down at that corner spot, but you know what? Maximize your minutes, man. A fair play to him. He had two interceptions, uh, one for a touchdown. Uh, so good for you, C.J. Caesar. I, you've earned it. You really have. And, you know, I don't know how much you'll see the field next year, uh, especially if some of these guys, uh, you know, come back. But, you know, I, I'm happy for him. And I did misspeak. He did not have a pick six. Uh, I had a brain fart there. But he did have two interceptions. So at the very least, if he turns out to be a good backup or a good second stringer, all the more power to him. And I hope, the playing time that he's gotten in the last couple of games has helped uh, develop him for next year and just kind of get him more reps. Um, because TCU, need, as with every year, needs all the depth it can get in the defensive backfield, especially at corner. Caesar actually did go down a little bit during that game. He was out for uh, a couple plays. And Keontae Jenkins came in, a four-star freshman, uh, when he was hurt. And Jenkins had a lot of offers coming out of Virginia. Uh, he was, I think, the 19 overall player in Virginia. Um didn't necessarily shine against Louisiana Tech, but he'll probably compete for a starting job in the future. So didn't burn his red shirt or anything, and I'm, I'm glad he was able to see the field. Louisiana Tech's line is not good on offense. They were down to um, like their sixth tackle of the season, but 
O'Shawn Mathis and Kari Coleman did their jobs. Uh, two sacks for Mathis, one for Coleman, one for Dylan Horton. Sure. Uh, you know, you come in your garbage time and make a play, that's great. Uh, Mathis and Coleman, I think, are going to be really, really exciting next year. I, I watched the first half of this game with my dad, and he he is a huge O'Shawn Mathis fan. He, he's jacked up about him. Uh, and, and <clears throat> you know, we've said this at different points during the year. TCU's defensive line has stepped up in recent games, but they were also playing probably the weakest offensive lines they'll face. Instead of playing Kansas State and Iowa State and Oklahoma, they're playing Texas Tech and Kansas and Louisiana Tech. So it's a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, but you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Just just accept it as development and trust that it'll continue into next year. Mathis really is getting better, and I think he's getting more confident. So maybe he wasn't playing the best line, but as long as it kind of gives him a little bit of you know, momentum heading into 2021. That's great. I'm happy with it. And, uh, you know, I think it'll continue to develop. Coleman really, really excites me. Um, first off, a defensive end wearing number 11 is awesome. Uh, I think that's that's outstanding. Kind of makes him look like an athlete out there. Uh, I'm in favor of linemen wearing single-digit numbers, honestly. But 11 makes him look like a, like a speedy slot receiver out there. But I think it's going to be really good, and I think that's that's a two-man tandem that TCU can rely on moving forward at the ends. Interior linemen, we'll see. I, you know, someone's going to have to step up. Hopefully Patrick Jenkins, I think, has an opportunity to be that guy. But uh, the, the future, I don't know if I'll say it's bright, but it's certainly not dim at defensive line for TCU. Uh, farewell, Garrett Wallow. Golly, I mean, what can you say about the guy? Absolute legend at TCU. Carried the defense all last year. It was fitting to see him go out, leading the team with 13 tackles, uh, nine solo. All around great guy. You're not going to find anyone that has anything negative to say about Garrett Wallow. I don't think his senior year was as good as he would have liked it to be, at least statistically. Uh, But he has no reason to hang his head. And it was really cool to see everyone celebrate him, uh, offense and defense, on Twitter last night after the game and, and kind of give him the proper send off that he deserves. Uh, Garrett Wall is the model for a TCU linebacker and we need more guys like him. All right, let's, let's talk about the TCU offense here because there were a lot of points scored and we certainly want to recognize that this was fun. Look, we joke about running the ball a lot on this program, but if you're going to run it, you might as well get 266 combined yards and four combined touchdowns on 12 carries between Zach Evans and Kendry Miller. Uh, CC was able to pretty much do what it wanted on offense. And of course, with the current coaching staff, what they wanted to do was run the ball effectively. And they did that to a large, uh, for a large portion of the game. Uh, of course, Evans had the long touchdown run, uh, and Miller had two long touchdown runs. Uh, and if you, interestingly enough, if you look at the pro football focus grades, the run blocking grades weren't all that good. Esteban Avila. Steve Avila, excuse me, had an 81.9. No one else was over a 70, uh, which which I find really surprising. Uh, but the pass blocking was great for the offensive line. Uh, so at least that's a positive. Uh, rushing grades, I mean, this won't surprise you. They were all high. Zach Evans had a, a 91.6 rushing grade. Kendry Miller had a 90, or excuse me, 84.8. Duggan had a 66.4. Um, so it was a very successful night on the ground for TCU. Uh, Kendry Miller, man, look. Zach Evans is going to be the guy moving forward. I think he's established himself at his freshman year, even though we didn't get the playing time that he probably deserved or would have liked to seen or would have been the most beneficial. He maximized every opportunity. And when you're a five-star running back, you had kind of a interesting, twisting, controversial recruiting cycle. And you come to TCU, I think a lot of us expected 
Zach Evans not to see the field or be really underutilized. And I think he was underutilized, but not to the extent that I expected. And I was happy to see Evans um, close out the regular season with with some with some good plays. Um, he's going to be a monster moving forward. And the fact that TCU has trusted him to carry the ball uh, is is a positive because I really thought he'd be buried at the end of the bench. So it's good to see him. And look, it's also encouraging to see Kendry Miller. Um, I, I don't think he's a complete running back yet. I mean, I'm certainly not, so I don't, you know, I'm, I'm no Barry Sanders or anything. But uh, w- when he has good plays, they're great plays. And we saw that last night. I mean, Grant Buechler, I believe, was in a quarterback. And Miller was like, hey, I'm not done scoring. And he took an 89-yard run to the house uh, on the right side. No one on Louisiana Tech could catch it. He's going to be a great change of pace back. And sometimes that's a positive. I, d- I don't want to see TCU go to a two-back system and treat – Miller and Evans, like Alana, Lua, and Anderson, because Evans is better than Miller. And Alana, Lua, and Anderson, at least, were even. Just They just kind of did different things. Um, Evans should be the primary back going forward, and then Miller can lead that sort of supporting cast of Foster and Barlow and DiMarcato. And by the way, look, I, I hate to complain about a game in which TCU scored 52 points, but Amari DiMarcato led TCU with 13 carries. And my question is, why? What, what possibly could be gained from that. It's not like Di Mercado was a senior and they were, you know, giving him a, a testimonial in his last match like you do for soccer players. I, I don't understand why they continue to feature Amari Di Mercado as much as they do. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I just don't think he's the best running back on the roster. And while he may have seniority, it's not like he has seasons of being the primary back that it would be knocking him off his pedestal to put Evans or Miller in, right, if that makes any sense. So it's not like if, um, you know, Aaron Green had, had been the starting running back for two years, and then all of a sudden, oh, actually, you know, Darius Anderson is going to carry the ball 15 times a game. I think the timelines match up there. But it, it's strange to me how much the coaching staff gives DeMarcado the ball. Again, he's not bad. It's just weird that they, they rely on him so much. And this was a game in which you could put – you know, Barlow and Foster in and let them run around. I mean, they've kind of failed to distinguish themselves this season, and so not letting them kind of vie for that second-string, third-string job or just kind of you know see what they can do against a lackluster defense, is, it was a little disappointing, but, again, we're picking nits at this point. Uh, I, you know, I would really hate to guard Quentin Johnston. Man, uh, it doesn't seem fun. The long touchdown pass he had, 76 yards down the right sideline. Uh, the defensive back tried to tackle him uh, as the ball was in the air, and it really didn't matter. Duggan kind of underthrew it. He could have thrown it earlier, and the broadcast noted this, but Johnston made the adjustment, uh, made the catch, finished with five catches for 133 yards and a touchdown. He also had a rushing touchdown with a really nifty spin move at the end um, on kind of a little jet reverse out of, I think, the eye formation near the goal line. It was a weird play, but he got the ball and he scored. Um, probably a little too cute by half, but when you have an athlete like Quentin Johnston, that's okay. Uh, you, you're allowed to be too cute when you have athletes that can bail you out there. Uh, he, he's going to be an animal, and he, I mean, he already is. And the fact that he's a freshman, Miller's a freshman, uh, Evans is a freshman, Duggan's a sophomore, and if those are your core four athletes moving forward, you're in a pretty daggum good spot. Uh, and and TCU's lucky to be there. Another freshman that caught a pass, Savion Williams. How about that? Uh, Parker and I have been clamoring to see Savion Williams uh, as if he's prime Randy Moss. We just want to see what he can do. Uh, 
I think with Blair Conrad out uh, for this game, that gave Williams an opportunity to probably get a couple more snaps than he normally would. Just everyone moved one spot up the death chart. You know, one catch for eight yards, nothing spectacular, but I'm glad that he's still at least in the minds of the coaches, right? And that he's not been completely relegated to a bench spot. Um, because TCU has had some wide receiver transfers this year. And so I, I want Williams to stick around, fill out that death chart, and and and, uh, and be productive moving forward. Okay, let's... I suppose at this point we buried the lead, and by the lead I mean the play that happened on TCU's first drive. I, I felt a disturbance in the force, and I felt Parker just freaking out, even though he wasn't watching the game uh, in West Texas when this happened. But fourth and two from the Louisiana Tech four, first drive of the game, and TCU runs a wild frog with Chase Curtis behind center. Now, I, I, I'm not familiar with the entirety of TCU's roster. I don't have it memorized. Um, I assumed Curtis was just a little used senior. That was a practice squad guy. and said, hey, you know, great dude. Let's get him on the field. Uh, last game of his career. Just see what he can do right in front of the home fans. No, 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 no. Curtis is a freshman wide receiver, a walk-on from Pittsburgh, Kansas. Your guess is as good as mine as to why he was in the game. Uh, but he took a snap and tried to hurdle a guy and got tackled. It was 4th and 2. I think he lost a yard uh, from the 4-yard line. I'll say this. Carter Ware would have made that play, damn it. And I don't know why they didn't give him the ball. That's that's prime for our king to thrive in that situation. Patterson was asked about this in the presser after the game, actually. and uh, This is a quote he 24-7 sports. Uh, his answer was, He's a guy that walked on here that I think is going to be a really good player going forward. He was a quarterback that's moved to wideout. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And he could also play the Wildcat. I probably would have liked to see one of our better backs do that, but that wasn't the call. Okay. Three things there. One, I don't think he can play the Wildcat, because I just watched it, and he lost a yard on 4th and 2 against Louisiana Tech. Secondly, I would have liked to have seen one of our better backs out there you know, you can make that decision, Gary. And if I'm thinking about better backs, there were, I don't know, 10 guys I'd like to see carry the ball in this situation ahead of Chase Curtis. Again, this is not to bury Chase Curtis because he should not have been in that position. But if you're going to run the wild frog, run it with Evans or Miller or Foster or Barlow. Well, I don't know, your running quarterback, Max Duggan, who could just run QB power if that's what you want. And then secondly, or thirdly, I suppose, Patterson ending with, but that wasn't the call. Look, man, I, I don't know how much Patterson controls, hey, we're going to run a gadget play here, or let's try something new, or we've been working on this in practice, let's run it at the first opportunity. But throwing, <laughs> throwing your coordinators under the bus for that play is a little ridiculous. There are so many things that Patterson could throw, come be, and meet you and kill under the bus for this year that he hasn't done. And instead, he chooses the Chase Curtis Wild Frog to pick nits and start a fight. It, the whole thing just made me laugh. And of course, it doesn't matter because it's Louisiana Tech and TCU won 52 to 10. But when you're in those scoring opportunities early and you have a chance to really put the hammer down, I was not a big fan of that play call. And Patterson wasn't either, but he just didn't do enough to change it. Take from that what you will. Okay, so let's 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 sum this up here a little bit. Was this the mythical proof of concept for Kill, Cumbie, and Meacham? No. Not necessarily. 
This was TCU beating up on a very bad Louisiana Tech team with a battered offensive line. Right? But what it was, and I don't think we're being too optimistic here, at least I hope not, I don't have Parker to bring me down, is TCU taking care of business against a really good team and previewing what we have to look forward to next year. Now, obviously, we didn't get to see as much out of the passing game as we would have liked. Uh, it was a lot of deep passes. Duggan damn near got picked off on the first play of the game. But we were able to showcase our running game, and Evans and Miller sure looked good. And if that's all we had to take out of this, then that's great. I hope, and someone said this on Twitter, I think it was our friend Jamie Plunkett, but Kill and Meacham and Cumbie are just going to get another, you know, are going to get the benefit of the doubt because TC ran for 366 yards or whatever it was against Louisiana Tech in the last game of the season, and that's going to give them all the goodwill under Patterson that they need to keep going forward. Look, I'm, I don't, I'm not asking for them to get fired, and I don't think they will, but I also don't think this is the, oh, well, okay, now Patterson believes that everything is hunky-dory because they hung 52 on Louisiana Tech. I think there is a middle ground there that we can reach. And I think that it's not proof of concept, but it is proof of what Park and I have been saying since, I don't know, February, which is 2021 is the year. It is the year. You have the talent on offense. You have the returners coming back on defense. You'll have an offensive line that has had some time to play together, and who knows you know, who will take an extra year of eligibility, all that, but you have some consistency. We're, bas- we're basically back, expectations-wise, where we were at the beginning of this year. I think I picked TCU to go 9-4, and four, maybe or 9-3, and three, or whatever the math works out to be, and win all their non-conference games. Well, TCU went. Five and four, and didn't play a non-conference game. Excuse me, no, sorry, six and four, and it didn't play their 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 first three at the beginning of the year. So, you know, you add a game against some, you know, FCS team, and then say TCU beats Cal, okay, or NSMU. Well, okay, you're looking at about eight and four, right? I mean, you're, we're kind of in line with what we thought this team was going to be heading into the year. We just didn't have those three warm-up games against non-conference opponents, and we. Messed around too much against Iowa State and Kansas State and laid an absolute egg against West Virginia. But this team is pretty much, to borrow a phrase from uh, uh, Coach Green, they're who we thought they were. They're exactly who we thought they were. That's great. That's fine. It doesn't diminish the fact or dim expectations that 2021 is the year. We basically reset. We played 10 games. And didn't really mean anything because we know what we knew before the beginning of the year. Well, now we'll see what happens at the bowl game, probably the Liberty Bowl against Kentucky or somebody, some mid-level SEC opponent, and that game doesn't matter because, as Patterson always says, it's about the practices, not the bowl game itself. But hopefully they get to travel, have a nice little time. And after that, all sights set on next season. Speaking of next season, TCU is going to have a familiar uh, opponent stalking the sidelines in Austin. The Longhorns are keeping Tom Herman. I find this fascinating for a lot of reasons. Um, A, public pressure being number one, because Texas 
Although they somehow managed to like hover around number 24 all year in the rankings after being as high as nine before TCU beat them. The Longhorns didn't look good really at any point during the year. They never looked like they could contend for a national title. Even in Sam Ellinger's last year, all that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the golden boy never looked all that great. But the fact that Texas is going to keep Tom Herman, you know, there are really two ways to look at it. One, it means either there are no good coaching uh, hires out there. All right, so that probably means Urban Meyer turned down Texas, which, okay, that, that, that's possible. And from all accounts, I think Texas was interested or at least put some feelers out and Urban didn't want to go there. That's great. Matt Campbell probably does not want to take a better job in conference and do that to Iowa State, although I think there is an opportunity that he might take, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And other than that, I mean, who are the guys that Texas really wants? Who has big college experience? or Power 5 experience, has had a standout year at a mid-tier Power 5 program and would want all the hassle that comes with being the head coach of Texas. Matt Brown? I mean, like, Matt Brown would be the answer, right? But obviously that's not going to happen again. So I don't know. I don't think there is an answer for the Texas coaching situation. But I do want to read Crystal Conte's statement because I find it very interesting. There's been a lot of speculation about the future of our football coach. My policy is to the wait until the end of the season before evaluating and commenting on our, pro on our program of coaches. I'm going to pause that right there. That is exactly what Gary Patterson says about his coaching staff. They evaluate everything at the end of the year. So I don't know if that's a lesson Del Conte learned from Patterson or Patterson learned from Del Conte, but the language is identical. I find that very interesting. Get back to the quote. With the close of the regular season, I want to reiterate that Tom Herman is our coach. When I look at our football program right now, I see tremendous young men and promising talent. Our student-athletes are developing, and they play their hearts out. This has been an unprecedented year for all of us, and we're all disappointed that we didn't meet our expectations. Like the many fans that follow and support our program, I can't help but think what could have been done in 2020, or what could have been in 2020. There's still more work to be done, but I'm excited to watch our players and program move forward. That is the most tepid vote of confidence I can remember a major athletic director giving. He is still our coach. Is he good? Eh, who's to say? But he's still our coach. So Tom Herman will be back. I find that very funny. Go to Orange Bloods if you want to laugh. Uh, late breaking news, right before I record this, I'm recording this at about 2.15 this afternoon, uh, Sunday afternoon. Gus Malzahn out at Auburn. It is a fire Gus year. I think this is where... Matt Campbell goes. I think it fits. Auburn being a rural university, uh, an SEC team, a team with a really, really good you know, recruiting base, obviously, a lot of history. It's a step up from Iowa State. It's out of conference, so Campbell doesn't have to deal with that, and they can pay him a ton of money. I really think that's where Matt Campbell goes. I think a system would fit. That's complete gut feeling. I think it would be the best fit for him of of the available coaching jobs this offseason. So call it a hunch. But uh, Let's talk about one more thing in the Big 12 before we go national. Charlie Brewer, uh, the superstar, to quote Shahan Jayaraja, 
announcing that he will become a graduate transfer and leave Baylor University. Uh, reading directly from his tweet here, uh, Dear Baylor Nation, it's with much thought and prayer that I'm announcing I will be entering the transfer portal, moving on as a graduate transfer. Heartfelt thank you to my teammates, Coach Rule and Coach Aranda, for an amazing ride. Past four years at Baylor, I will take with me a lifetime of great memories and a degree from Baylor University. I'm gonna. This is gonna sound mean. I don't know where Brewer lands because he looked very, very hurt this year, and his arm power is not what it has been. And I hope he finds somewhere that he can shine because I think he's a good kid. But I don't know where he's gonna go. So that leaves Baylor with a lot of really interesting options next year. Jerry Bohannon, I was really high on when he uh, when he kind of saw some action as a freshman, but apparently he's not played all that well. Uh, Jacob Zeno, uh, who is a redshirt freshman, appears to be the guy moving forward, at least from some quotes after the game. Uh, he's the guy that had that 81-yard pass uh, against Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game out of nowhere. So we'll see. But I found that interesting that Brewer left. Okay, national stuff. Florida and LSU. I don't know if you watched this game. I certainly did, at least the last part of it after the TCU game ended. Florida's national title hopes were gone after one of their players hucked a shoe of an LSU player 20 yards down the field. Shout out to Spencer Hall for naming this the cleat yeet, uh, which I think is hilarious. Um, It's the most bizarre ending to a game I can remember since that Ole Miss guy got down on all fours and pretended to be a dog and pretended to pee on the Mississippi State field. You, you, you couldn't write this. It, it's it's it was such a brain fart, such an indefensible decision by the Florida player, and it wound up costing them their national title hopes. I mean, if Florida wins that game against LSU, I mean, well, listen, all they have to do is beat Bama is a really simple statement, but just beat Bama and you're in the playoff in the SEC title game. Instead, they have two losses. There's no chance they're going to make the playoff. All because some guy threw a shoe. And Florida shouldn't have been in that position, but it was a weird, foggy game. They had a couple lapses. They had some really, really ill-timed blitzes that LSU took advantage of. I don't think this is a reflection on Dan Mullen as a coach. Kyle Pitts, their leading receiver, over the best tight ends of the country, is out uh, for that game. It was just a perfect storm of idiocy. It was beautiful, don't get me wrong. But against an LSU team that is one of the worst defending national champions of all time, to throw away your national title hopes with a cleat yeet. Incredible. Simply incredible. So what does this leave? Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Those are your four. If Clemson beats Notre Dame, I still think the committee puts both teams in um, during the rematch in the ACC title game. Clemson did not have Trevor Lawrence on two of their main defensive starters in that loss to Notre Dame. But if Notre Dame wins and Clemson has two losses. I I would have a hard time putting Texas A&M in. Um, I mean, their only loss is Alabama, but and they did beat Florida. But I don't think A&M is, is anywhere near the tier of Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and, uh, and Ohio State. They might get in based on their, their, their resume, but they're not as good as those teams. So... We, once again, come back to the debate of does your resume matter or does how good your team is matter? 
and also how much money do you have? And A&M has a lot of money, but they're not Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, or Ohio State. I mean, I think A&M is the third biggest college in the United States and Ohio State's second. Uh, I think I have that right, but anyway, they're both in the top five. Bama's a national brand, Notre Dame's a national brand, and Clemson is, well, Clemson. So it's going to have to take a really interesting set of circumstances for A&M to make it, despite not playing in the SEC championship game, and with what is probably the third best team that they've had since joining the ACC, the SEC. But we did just see a team throw away their national title hopes on a shoe. So maybe this will work out for the Aggies. I certainly hope it doesn't because I will never hear the end of it. And A&M fans will still be mad that Kellen Mond is the quarterback, even as he suits up for a college football playoff semifinal, which that would be very funny. Okay, this has been a short recap uh, with a one-man show. It's a little harder to go 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, but wrapping up, I mean, TCU's regular season is over. We'll see where they go. I, think, I believe the selection show for the college football playoff is December 20th, but I assume that because of the way the year is and the scheduling for the bowls works, that we'll find out where TCU is going. I, I, w- I would be surprised if it wasn't sometime this week. Um, Parker will be back on Wednesday, and we're going to do some awards, uh, hand out best play, worst play, you know, best player, MVP, all that, most important game uh, for the TCU season heading into the bowl game. We'll do that Wednesday night, uh, so you'll get that in your inbox Thursday morning. Uh, I will have my post-game recap up for the Louisiana Tech game tomorrow morning for the newsletter. Uh, and then we got a lot of off-season content um, to talk about. We're going to be talking about TCU basketball, which, by the way, shout-out to the Horn Frogs for beating Texas A&M at Dickey's Arena. Um, beat the hell out of the Aggies, uh, which was extremely entertaining. Uh, TCU basketball off to a decent start this year. Certainly not as good as we'd hoped them to be, but uh, they've... Uh, They've certainly held their own, and that A&M win is really, really exciting. Uh, other than that, my name is Grant McGalliard, and you can follow me at Grant McGalliard. It's spelled exactly the way it sounds. Uh, don't forget about poor Parker. He's at Stats O War. Uh, like and subscribe to the Purple Theory Podcast. I hope you enjoy this little solo episode here, getting back to my old radio days when I was at 92.5 Happy Radio covering Bay City High School. Uh, yeah, like, subscribe, review, five stars. You could call me every name in the book as long as you make it a five-star review because that's what matters. Uh, subscribe to the Purple Theory newsletter. The content machine does not stop in the off-season. If you subscribed during last off-season, you knew that. Uh, we did rewatches. We did a bunch of analytical work, uh, scheme breakdowns, stuff like that, and we're only going to keep going. Uh, now that we have a little bit of, of, uh, of experience under our feet and how to do this, we're, we're really, really excited to see what happens uh, heading into 2021. So y'all have a good week. And we will see you Wednesday night.